The scripture is out of the book of John. It's verses, uh, I mean, chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your word that changes uh, a stony heart into a pure heart. I thank you, God, that you would open up our hearts today to receive your word. We pray, Lord, that lives are changed. And uh, we thank you in advance, God, for your, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So today, I would like to talk uh, to you about something that we always are talking about, but we never really identify it as such. And the subject um, that I want to teach on today is the heart of God. And I've outlined four different questions here in the beginning. So as I go through, you can keep them in the back of your head and see if, um, you can, if they're being answered as we go along. And the first question is, what actually is the heart of God? The second one is, what does it look like to seek the heart of God? Number three, what are the consequences to not seeking God's heart? And number four, we'll finish up with, what are benefits from seeking the heart of God? So I want to begin uh, with a personal experience. And uh, this uh, started a few months ago when I was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at the Ultimate Sports Show held at the Farm Show Complex. This building is enormous. It is two blocks in one direction, one block in the other direction. It's divided up into at least eight to ten exhibit halls. Thousands of people pass through this for that sports show every day. I love events like that because it attracts people from all around the world and around the United States. I get to talk to them about, you know, where they work, where they're from. And, of course, my son, he's like, Dad, will you please just sell a sweatshirt, you know? So, you know, I've got like a limited amount of time to talk. But men, women, teenagers, small children come from all kinds of backgrounds, people of all ages. Some people in motorized carts going around, some with canes, others in wheelchairs, some in casual dress, others in uniforms, but all seemingly there enjoying the purpose of which they came. Throughout the week of seeing this, all these crowds daily for over nine days, I can't help but take a step back and ask God, where is he in the lives of these people? How many of these people are without the gospel? I mean, I don't know if, if the reason I'm telling you this is because I don't know if you guys ever consider that when you go to, um, I mean, it could be just the mall that's right down the street. It could be a big sporting event. I don't know if it could be, uh, you know, maybe a school gymnasium where there's other people. But there has to be something Okay, it usually works for me, and I'm glad it does. That kind of jolts me into, okay, 
you know, really, this harvest is ginormous, okay? And uh, there's a lot of people that really need to know Christ. And then it's like always you begin to ask God the question, and then it reminds me of whenever you go to somebody and you say, hey, you need to do that. You need to do that. Every time you do it, that finger's pointing that way, but three more are pointing back at you. And uh, so not that I'm pointing a finger at God, but it's somewhat the conviction falls back on me, and I think it should fall back on us as to what are we really doing for the gospel. The Bible in Mark 16 says to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. It's part of the Great Commission. If the gospel is to impact the world, it must be carried by people who have a consuming desire to seek and know God's heart. John 3, 16 and 17, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, quoted at probably every arena, holding up signs. For God so loved the world that he gave his begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So easily, I think that we could get familiar with this verse without realizing that this is really the heart of God. The Father asked the Son to come down here and lay down his life for us on the cross so that we could be redeemed. And so I think that we sometimes look at that verse and miss the meaning of it. In Luke 14, 23, there's the parable of the dinner. The master said to the slave, go out into all the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. This depicts like an invitation to accept Christ. And the reason he had to compel the slave to go out into the highways and byways, this is when all the regular guests that were invited started giving excuses. And really ridiculous excuses. One said, oh, I bought some land and I'm going to go check it out to see what it looks like. And the other one said, I just got married, okay? And because of that, I, you know, I'm not able to make it. And still another one said, I have animals that I just purchased, so I need to go take care of them. Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, preached the gospel. He healed the sick, the lame. He raised the dead. Many received the good news but many rejected it. Jesus had a great commitment to reach the lost with the saving gospel in order that he might lead us to understand the heart of God. Remember, Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. He was here to show us the Father's heart. There must be a certain passion involved in us as Christians to seek after God's heart today. In Colossians 3, 12, we read, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then in Galatians 5, 24, we read, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions, and desires. 
However, because of the age in which we're living in, our thinking tends to become dulled and our commitments are easily obscured to where our priorities can easily become rearranged. And if we're not careful, we begin to lose our first love. At Bible study this week, during the week, we talked about, of course, I'm taking this out of context, so I might forget some of the questions that were asked, but uh, the question was asked by pastor is, what do you think is the, one of the reasons why people um, uh, do not understand the gospel or what keeps them away from the gospel? And of course, uh, distractions and priorities was one of the major reasons. And some of the other reasons were because when people actually sit down to read the gospel, they don't really understand it properly, so they give up on it. Well, why is this distraction? Why is this a distraction more than a priority? And when we do meet someone who is on fire with passion, we almost don't understand it because it's not the norm. In fact, the norm is to have our Christianity fit into where it is comfortable for us so it won't disrupt our leisure. We might say that the temperature of the church has dropped, our hearts have grown colder. Where has the passion for the heart of God gone? So how do we get back on track and fight against the lack of passion and enthusiasm in our lives? I mean, the proper term for that would be the mediocrity or the apathy, really, that is setting in if we're not careful in the lives of Christians. Well, we all know that it would be quite difficult to ask a fireman or a policeman to suddenly become a carpenter and build a house or teach an electrician to suddenly become a gourmet chef. But we're not asking for such a major transition. Us as Christians, blood-bought Christians, that really should be part of our DNA that's inside of us. Christians seeking after God's heart, this should be part of us. So what do we need to do if we find ourselves in this situation? I think that we need to take a time out and we need a reset. You know, I, I, when I say a reset, I always think of my phone. You take it out and just push those two buttons and boom, it goes off and then you turn it back on. It's the best way I can describe it. We need to just step back and take a reset. We need to be honest about where we are at. There's nothing gained by pretending to be actively walking holy when we are not. The mistake too many people make is trying to hide their lack of passion from God. Who's, who are we kidding? But that doesn't make any sense. He knows better than you do about where you're at. You can go through the motions of serving God, but if your heart isn't where it needs to be, you're missing the point. 1 Corinthians 13 makes it clear that unless our service is rooted in love, it's meaningless. Seeking God out of a sense of obligation or duty, apart from love for God, is not what he desires. 
Rather, serving God should be our natural, love-filled response to him who loved us first. 1 John 4, 9 through 11, reads like this. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Another point I want to make, or this is number two. The number one was uh, to just take a reset and be honest about where we're at. Number two, repent and confess. The Lord would love it if we just come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not after your heart. It's a brutal confession, but God knows, right? Not after your heart, forgive me and burn in me a new fire and a new beginning. I can't imagine the Lord wouldn't love that. And we need to ask God to give us a new heart. The heart refers to the central part of a person. The heart is the nature of a person. And to know the heart of someone is to know that person's innermost character, feelings and inclinations. The heart of God is the essence of who he is, what he desires, his will, and his purposes. By reading the word, knowing Jesus, spending time in prayer, a person can know the heart of God. The Lord desires restoration, the sick and the brokenhearted to be healed. He wants the lost and the rebellious to be found. In Luke 15, the three parables, and it's amazing because these three parables are back to back to back. The first parable is the lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. And when he finds the one, the word said there's more rejoicing in heaven over that one than the 99 who didn't need to repent. It's amazing. The next parable is the lost coin. A woman had 10 silver coins and she lost one. There was great value in these coins to her. It represented 10% of her love, 10% of the value in her life of where she placed it on God. And so she spent days sweeping every single corner, going around the house, looking, and when she found it, she invited all of her neighbors and friends to rejoice and tell them that she had found that one silver coin. And right after that, there's the parable of the prodigal son where the one son asks his father, I know we're familiar with it, asks his father for his inheritance. He goes out, frivolously spends it, realizes he needs to go back, repent to his father. When his father saw him coming from afar, he ran after him and already told his servants to start a huge 
celebration. So all three of these parables, something great was lost, and then it was found. This is the heart of God. The Word of God reveals the heart of God. To know the heart of God, the person must read His Word. For that is God's revelation of Himself and His message to all. In a very profound way, the Lord has given us His Word so that we can know Him. Reading the Bible, a person can know the heart of God because Scripture was divinely breathed out by him. I love it. It was uh, probably two years now. I lose track, but on a Wednesday night during the week, um, we, uh, during a Bible study here at church, um, a guest speaker had come in, and he took his word, and he opened it up like this, and he said, the words on this page, on every single page, from Genesis to Revelation, is God's breathing out his word to you. And I love the way he explained that. This is so true. In 2 Timothy 3.16, says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible speaks of God and reveals who he is and what he is like. Reading the Bible merely to gain facts about God is not, does not bring us any closer to the heart of God. Instead, reading Scripture should cause a person to fall more in love with him. I just have a quick example. I could, um, If you were going to read uh, Jesus Fed 5,000, and you just merely wanted to read that to find out how many loaves and how many fish. Oh, he had five loaves and two fish. Well, you're just reading that for the facts and the story. But to really find out what the heart of God was there, that Jesus could not, you know, he wanted to feed the 5,000. He wanted to preach more word. He had a heart for these people. He didn't want to send them home. This week in our weekly Bible study midweek, we learned about three words that we've talked about before. Exegesis, eisegesis, narcissus. Exegesis describes drawing out of Scripture what the author's original intent was. And that's so important because, you know, if you're just going to make the Scriptures match the trial that you're going through, that's not what that verse is there for. So scriptures need to be interpreted properly. And that's done through hermeneutics, which we're starting to study now. Eisegesis puts you in the scriptures. So all of a sudden, you're David, or you're Moses. You're, you're splitting the Red Sea. You're killing Goliath. No, that's not what that's there. That's not what that is intended for, that story. That story is about Christ killing our giants. And of course, Narcissus 
is when somebody's studying the scriptures looking to see um, what kind of a hero that they are. And those two, by the way, the last two, are heresy. The bottom line is this. If we're seeking after the heart of God, we must have a relationship to Scripture. Number three, spend time with the Lord in prayer. Prayer reveals the heart of God. Spending time with the Lord in prayer assists us in knowing his heart. James 4.8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Spending time alone with God in prayer will encourage a deeper relationship and create a greater intimacy between us and God. Our desires will become more in line with his. A lot of times we're looking to go to prayer because we want to ask God for something that we want. And that's not what prayer is really for. It's for us to ask God how we can change. And he can reveal to us what we need to do. Seeking to know the heart of God is a serious matter, as knowing him will change your entire life. Number four, I recognize that it is essential to seek the Lord. Your relationship to Scripture is essential. Without realizing how essential it is, the way I wrote it down here is it, it's like becoming an injured Christian. Attitudes in every area of your Christian walk can be affected. Your marriage, of course, we know what the Bible says about husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church. Your attitude and how you serve in your church. You're not serving me or you're not serving the pastor. You're serving the Lord. Your attitude on how you respond to the body of Christ will change. Jesus was asked once, which commandment of the law was the greatest? And he answered in Mark 12, 30 and 31, and you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now seriously, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, because, I mean, but honestly, is there somebody in here that can raise their hand and say, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength? Probably not. But you know what? If we're striving towards that, that's where we need to be. What God wants is really quite simple. He wants us. All our service for God must flow from those two commands to love, or it is not real service. It is a fleshly effort. And Romans 8, 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When the fear of the Lord begins to grow dim in our lives, 
consequences can occur. Proverbs 28.14 says this, How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So I want to list um, some consequences now of not seeking the heart of God. And since there, our context up to this point is really um, seeking the heart of God, which is another way of saying you're walking in the fear of God, correct? So if we're not walking in the fear of God, then really, and we start losing, losing our first love, different other kinds of fears can start to set in. And in the context of what I'm talking about, this is what I want to say. Fear is paralyzing. It's poison. Fear keeps us in a fake state of mind. And you can fall into, all of a sudden, the fear of sharing your faith. The fear of standing by moral values. For fear that you're not going to be accepted by whatever group that you're hanging out with. I know I can relate to a lot of this stuff. You know, I was thinking about it this morning. I was in the world for 40 plus years before the Lord got a hold of me. And I am so blessed because of that. I mean, I know that there's people that were, came out of diapers and they knew the Lord, you know? Or you know what I'm saying. From, they grew up in a Christian home their entire lives. It wasn't so with me. So when I see that side where I was for that many years and where I'm at now and my perspective, how it has changed. And there are people that, you know, when you're 40-some years, okay, in the world and you've worked with for 15 and all of a sudden there's this transition, okay? I mean... It's huge. It's huge. The fear of teaching. I mean, you may not want to, you know, you may take on the fear of teaching without the fear of God. Okay? I mean, you're going to be fearful that, you know, you're going to get rejected. And something that we really need to keep ourselves sharp on as far as staying in the Word because the Word will disintegrate those fears. How about this one? The fear of admitting you believe in Bible stories. Are you kidding? Are you going to tell me that a whale swallowed Jonah for three days and then regurgitated him out? I mean, you can, I, you can Google it. I am not kidding you. There, it's still not accepted as a true story. How about the flood? How about Lazarus being raised from the dead? All of these are just chalked up by non-believers as just ridiculous stories. But when it comes right down to it, all of our worldly fears are based around ourselves and what people might think of us. I said earlier that the heart of God is the essence of who he is what he desires, 
His will, and His purpose. His purpose for our life is that we would glorify Him. Glorifying God is walking in the fear of the Lord. Reverence for who He is and the holiness that He represents in our life. Not walking in the fear of what this world offers. Love for God and who He is in our lives has got to be our motivation for everything we do. If it's not, outward displays of goodness only result in pride and legalism. None of that pleases God. When we focus on loving God and seeking His heart, the Holy Spirit empowers us to love God fully and serve Him with the right motive. Okay, so now I want to... Um, I want to list some benefits. I told you I was going to be going down all of those questions. So some of the benefits that we receive from seeking the heart of God. Uh, first of all, Psalm 34.10 says, But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. And the first benefit that I have uh, listed for us is really a big one. Um, I know it was for me. Um, and that's that we will fully understand the justice of God. It's so misunderstood. The first thing somebody, a non-believer, wants to ask is how can such, or how can your loving God be so unloving when we see all these situations occurring? But when you can explain the justice of God, you can explain the gospel. Proverbs 28.5 says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. Number two, speaking of benefits, your wall of worry will disintegrate. Matthew 6 do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we be wearing for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all those things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day was enough trouble of its own. Pastor, you already mentioned that verse twice this morning. And uh, honestly, that verse um, means so much more to me now um, than probably 10 or 12 years ago when I was basically manipulated into thinking that the kingdom of God was the establishment in which I was attending at that time. So... Um, but that's an amazing verse. I think some of us can probably relate to that. Number three, God's ears will open, be open to your prayers. In 1 Peter 3.12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
And finally, number four, speaking of benefits for seeking the heart of God, I have Psalm 74, which reads like this. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. There's a battle that we all face each and every day. Seeking the heart of God or seeking what I want. Paul said, I die daily. Which means every single day he had to kill his flesh. It is estimated, this is, this is, this is amazing. It is estimated that the average adult makes 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. Each decision, of course, carries certain consequences with it that are both good and bad. I think that's an indication to us that before you step out of that door in the morning, you need to be carrying and equipped with the armor of God on you. God's salvation plan for our lives reveals the heart of God. How we respond to his moral will decides our eternal future. The heart of God is everywhere we look. In other words, when we're walking with God, you can see him in everything. Today I want to encourage, encourage us all to stay focused on our walks with Christ. See the heart of God in our families' lives. And really what I want to say about that is that just as we heard last week from Pastor, from the pulpit, is it goes from the pulpit to the family, to society, to our government. So really, we need... I understand that I said under the Great Commission, the Lord said, go out into all the world. But really, at this time, or in the beginning, the world is our family, our children, our spouses, our neighbors, our co-workers, our community. That's where we need to show the heart of God. That's where we need to start. If it can't start from our children's lives, really, what are we going out into the malls for? What are we going out into big convention centers? What about your brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and moms and dads? That's where it needs to start. Really, church, how is this, how is this going to turn around in America today unless it starts from the pulpit behind churches that are giving the truth? Hmm. Amen. Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your salvation plan, which you sent your son to depraved human beings that were lost. And you asked him to go to the cross, and he willingly did it. You poured out your wrath on him, and he suffered a price that we should have. 
and in place we received his righteousness. For all those that believe, Father, I thank you, God, for that salvation plan. Lord, I pray that in the weeks ahead, in the months ahead, in the rest of this year, Lord God, that you would burn in us a new fire for your word, a new fire, Lord, to, to reach out to the lost, to have understanding, God, of, and compassion for what people go through in this world. We thank you, God, for your, for your son, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit that prompts us continually, God, to, to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.